last week I opened us up a two-part series that I called Untitled. And if the cover had a subtitle, I'd call it uh, Uncovered, Every Scar Has a Story. Now, for this series, I spent last week um, looking at the story and the deeper story behind Jesus healing a leper. And I said, when, when, when you end up telling your story, you can tell the facts of the story or you can tell the deeper story. And then I showed a video and I said, Lauren, I don't know how many times it was Lindsay the whole time and no one called me out on it. We showed Lindsay's story. And I said, in some ways, Lindsay's story is simple. There was a girl, she had a mole, the doctors removed it, and then later in life, she found Jesus. Those were the facts of the story. And I said, that's not a story that we want to hear. We want to hear the deeper story, the feelings within the story, to see how she felt before she came to Christ and how Christ has transformed her life. I'm going to start our session together by showing another video. And in the same way, I'd love for you to be thinking about what's the story with Roger, is his name, and I know that it's Roger, uh, and what's the deeper story? So go ahead, you can direct your eyes to the screen. Hello, Roger. Good, I'm calling them. Ah, ah, no. Good, yeah. You alright this morning? I... Yeah. This may be hot, so... Okay. God 
I've been gazes enough to let me have come early and that really helps out my loneliness. When I struggle with loneliness, I remember and send to myself that Jesus is better. That's basically what it gets me to every day. I go to church on my own every Sunday in my electric wheelchair. I, I really enjoy that because I am a guitar at the 11th service. My favorite part is seeing all kinds of faces. That is such a job because I recognize that church is made up of all kinds of people. I don't have to listen to live that since I am disabled and not important. God made me who I am, and I was born with simple party, not because of an accident, but on purpose. When I take a thought, purpose, I say, oh man, how can I not worship God because he loves me that much to give me free peace so I can encourage the old body of the church and non-believers. It actually brings me to tears and I am very humble because not everybody give the gift of realizing that God gave me this life to not waste it but lose it. story, Roger has CP, has cerebral palsy. What's the deeper story for Roger? Roger's life is hard. I mean, Oh. <laughs> 
could we get the ushers to uh, just open the doors? That'll give us a little bit of light. Maybe uh, open these doors over here. Oh, it's coming back. Oh, all right. Yeah. Whenever there's that kind of interruption, I always forget what I was saying. Is anybody listening that you can give me a cue? Yeah, okay, perfect, thank you. Roger's life is hard. Roger's life is hard. He explained about loneliness. He explained how some of the dreams or aspirations that he might have as a man in his 40s aren't going to happen because he has CP. And, And yet, I would guess if you found 10 people with CP and asked each one of them to share their story with you, you would probably get a similar story, but you would get a deeper or a different, deeper story. Why would someone tell a different story if they have the same situation? I'm guessing Roger would tell a very different story than what we would share. And it reminds me of what happened two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, Pastor Kyle preached a message out of Second Kings chapter 6 simple story of the prophet Elisha and he has a servant and, and both of them end up seeing a reality at this moment they are surrounded by their enemies and while they're surrounded by their enemies Elisha as he looks across the mountainside is at peace he's not scared meanwhile his servant Elijah seen the same enemies surround him, is terrified. Why is Elisha not scared? And why is Elisha's servant scared? Kyle made the point that it's because the servant didn't see life clearly. He didn't see the world clearly. And so Elisha prayed, God, would you open the eyes of this man to be able to see life as it actually is? And when God opened his eyes, he immediately saw, and though he still saw the enemies surrounding him. That didn't change. What changed is that he saw the bigger picture, and he saw that on the mountainside there were horses and chariots of fire. And so when he had his eyes opened, he responded differently. He didn't stay afraid. He found peace and comfort, just like Elisha had. The, the idea of seeing being an important component for life is seen going, we're going to see it in our passage this morning. But this concept of seeing, Kyle had a quote from Leslie Newbigin. I'd love to read it for you. He said something like this, the Christian story provides us with a set of lenses and think glasses. The Christian story provides us with a set of lenses, not only something for us to look at, but for us to look through. Kyle said that in order to grow as a believer, what we need to do is we need to put on the glasses of the Christian story so that we can see. Just like God opened the eyes of the servant to be able to see, we need to open up our eyes and put on these lenses so that we might see. My point this morning is, I think the reason that Roger sees his CP differently than other people might is because he sees it through a Christian lens. And so I want to pray for us before we open up the scriptures to 
examine what God is going to open our eyes to this morning. Let's pray. Father, when it's dark, we can't see. When it's dark, we don't know what's coming. And we read in the scriptures that when you talk about blindness, you're not just talking about physical blindness, but a kind of spiritual blindness. And Lord, I confess this morning that I don't see things the way you see things. I don't see all things the way you see all things. And Father, you know all from beginning to end. You see it. You see my thoughts. You see my feelings. You see my dreams and my aspirations. And, and you know that for everyone. You see all things. And Father, and as I confess that I don't see, I recognize that I don't live how I ought to. I'm like the servant who trembles in fear because I can't see. Father, this morning as we look at this story in John, I'm trusting that your spirit is going to do the work that I can't do myself and that we can't do ourselves. I pray that you would open our eyes to the text, turn the light on so that we might see and that as we see, we might find rest and peace and hope for the world that we encounter. And Lord, I ask that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, you can open up your Bible to John chapter 9. This is a long chapter, 41 verses. Uh, as I studied it this week, there was a time early on in the week that I was thinking about doing the whole chapter. Uh, that was dumb. Um, there is way too much in chapter 9 for me to be able to unpack any of it. The story is really about Jesus healing a blind man. So there's your spoiler. Um, there's a man, he's blind, Jesus heals him. And the entire chapter, really from verse 8 through 41, is primarily about the controversy and conversations that end up happening because Jesus healed the man. We're not going to look at that this morning. In fact, we're just going to look at the first seven verses uh, of Jesus healing him. And even in this, we're really just going to look at the first three verses. So let me read it here, and then I'll make my points. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. As he passed by, he being Jesus, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went 
and washed and came back seen. It's a simple story, yeah? There was a man, he was blind, and Jesus healed him. But what I want to say is that there's more than just one blind man in John chapter 9. What we're going to look at today is the blindness not of the man, but of the disciples. And if we had time to look at chapter uh, 9 through 1 through 41, we'd see the blindness of the Pharisees, the blindness of this man's parents, the blindness of those who are around. This whole story is about blindness. And so I'm going to bring us our first point as we look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. This scene reminds me a lot of a scene of the, or a parable that Jesus has told. In fact, you probably know the story of the Good Samaritan. There's a man who is beaten, robbed, left for dead, and three people come across him. Three people pass by, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. And it's this, this, this parable goes like this. As they pass by, each one of them sees the man. Two of them go to the other side and walk past. One of them stops. And so here is Jesus in some ways showing that he is the good or the best Samaritan because he sees and he stops. He has compassion and he approaches. And I don't mean to be funny in saying this, but the blind man didn't see Jesus coming. Jesus saw him. Jesus initiated. And so one of the things that I want to draw out in this is that the Bible doesn't ignore the painful parts of life. The Bible doesn't ignore it. Here, Jesus is acknowledging a blind man. The scriptures include a story of someone who has pain in their life. And so the first thing that I'll draw out is that Jesus sees the blind man. The second thing we can see just from this one verse is that the man has been blind from birth. He's been blind from birth. And I need you to put yourself in that kind of position to, to understand the deeper story, to feel what it must be like to never have been able to see. The lights go out in here. It's dark for a moment, but there's little glimpses of light that peek through, and so we can still see, and our eyes will adjust, and it wasn't scary, but imagine if it was black all the time. I mean, it's a scary world. Your world of comforts, your home that has all of the things that are so comfortable and convenient for you become treacherous hazards. Doors become toe jammers. Little tables, coffee tables become shin crashers. You've got sharp corners, you've got hot surfaces all around your house, and so you can navigate it fine because you can see it and you can avoid it, but if you can't see, I don't know how, I don't know how someone who doesn't have someone to help guide them is able to get around if they're blind. I know people do it. I see them with their stick or with their dog, but to me, that would be a very scary world, a very dangerous world. And I I would say a very dark world, and I mean that on a deeper meaning. Because if you can imagine, he's never seen a sunset. Some of the things that you might say are your favorite parts of summer. Watching the flowers come to life. Seeing a sunset. Going to the beach, looking out over the horizon of the ocean. Things that bring you joy. He never sees those to have joy. He's never seen the love of his life walk through the door and felt his heart flutter. 
He's never seen a smile that's brought comfort to his life. It, it, if you start putting yourself deeper in this man's life, you recognize that this man has pain points. And what I love about the scriptures is that it doesn't ignore it. It doesn't brush under the rug the ugly parts of life. The scriptures are going to talk about pain and suffering, or to use last week's words, wounds and scars. You don't have to walk that far to see pain points in life. Like, scroll down your newsfeed. You see it. And just look at your own life just in a moment. At Keystone, we have marital problems. We have financial stress. We've had people who recently were diagnosed with cancer. We have unfaithful partners at Keystone that are wrecking marriages, wrecking families. We've had parents who have been trying to have kids and have mis had miscarriage after miscarriage. We've had people who lost loved ones recently. To me, it's comforting that the Bible doesn't ignore the painful parts of life, but it, it addresses it. It's going to provide answers for us. Which brings us to my next point. Point two, the stories that we believe shape the world we see. The stories that we believe shape the world we see. And I need to do a little bit of prep to get us there. Because it's my understanding that as we read verse 2, we are going to get a window into a storyline, into a narrative that these, these disciples believe to explain suffering in our world. I'll read the line. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And implicit in this, embedded within their question, is a storyline. And I'm making the case here. The stories that we believe, the stories we believe, shape the world we see. So to give you an idea of how powerful stories can be, we can look at advertisers. Advertisers recognize that storylines are a powerful way for them to shape the way that you see life. And so their goal, basically every commercial is like a little short story showing a before and an after. Before without the product, after with the product, and after with the product is far better than before. If you buy into that story, you'll buy into their product. Apple is not selling phones. I mean, they're selling a phone, but they're selling more than a phone. They're saying that once you get this phone, you won't just be able to text and make calls. No, 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 it's more than that. You're going to be stylish. You're going to be hip. You're going to be creative because you think different. And if you buy that line, you'll buy their product. Nike sells more than shoes. That's their storyline. They, they say that if you are someone who overcomes obstacles and perseveres, if you just do it, okay, buy our shoes. And they're like, I just do it. I'm an athlete. I will buy Nikes. We, we all fall victim to us. No, no more than any junior high boy falls victim to Axe Body Spray's storyline. It's a story. The story is you buy our body spray and douse yourself in it and you'll immediately become a chick magnet. And unless some youth worker is able to tell that junior hire another story, they're going to believe it. And they're going to make decisions on the basis of that storyline. The story that they believe shapes the way they see the world. 
Cable news knows the power of a story. Okay, so I'll give you a fact, and then I'm going to provide two narratives. Here's a fact, and this is not a political statement at all. This is just a fact. There are people being detained at our border. That's just that, that I, I'm not one way or the other on this. I'm just, there are people detained at the border. If I were to ask you, is that a good thing or a bad thing, it would probably depend on whether you believed narrative A or narrative B or some other narrative that's not necessarily proclaimed on cable news. Narrative A says our president is Hitler and what he's doing is rounding up immigrants and putting them in concentration camps. Narrative B says our president is our savior and he is rescuing us from people who would come and do illegal things. So, people at the border, is that good or bad? It depends on which story, which narrative you believe. Until we have a story, it's tough to make sense of the facts that we see. We need the context. The problem is, is that without a true story, a true narrative, we don't really know whether something is good or bad. And there are a lot of people who don't know politically what's what to do, whether to think something is a good thing or a bad thing, because we don't know which story to believe. The disciples believe a story about why suffering exists. Maybe you can hear it in, implicit within their statement. Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What do they assume is the reason for this man's blindness. Someone sinned. Someone sinned. Someone sinned, and this particular sin produced this particular suffering. This particular sin, someone sinned. I don't know if it was him or his parents, but someone sinned. And the reason this man blind is because he sinned. Someone sinned. Is that a true storyline? Well, I think the world is looking for answers to basically answer the question of the disciples. The disciples have a storyline that they believe, and it's in influencing how they interact with this man. They're, they're the unreligious world, the irreligious world, I should say. The world that doesn't believe God exists, they're answering the same questions about suffering in the world. And the only thing is their storyline is there's no God, there's no reason, there's no purpose. They would just say stuff happens. And the strong eat the weak. You try to make your best as long as you can. You eat, drink, do whatever you can, get as much happiness as you can, and then you die and nothing happens. Like whatever pain you experience is meaningless. So it doesn't matter whether you've done anything right or wrong, like bad stuff just happens. That's an irreligious understanding of suffering in the world. There are religious reasons. If you look at all of the major world religions, Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, all of them essentially say that if, if bad things are happening, it's because God is not happy with you. And if you want good things to happen in your life, you better find ways to make God happy with you. Offer the sacrifices, do the deed, pray the prayer. 
And, and then even within Christianity, there are, there are, there's a spectrum that I'll say from false doctrine, false gospel to true doctrine. And there's a continuum here of people who would say that the reason that bad things happen to you is because you've not prayed properly. You've not worshipped properly. There's a works-based I'm going to put Christianity in quotation marks because it's not true Christianity. But there's a, there's a group of Christians who would say that if bad things are happening to you, it's because you're sinning. The disciples would have been like this in some ways. Bad things are happening because you're sinning. And if you stop sinning, then life will get better for you. I had dinner with a uh, couple Friday night, and the couple shared with me that they've been trying to have a kid for years and just had their third miscarriage. And one of this lady's friends came up to her and said, God will bless you with a child when you and God get on right terms. And I think, is that the true story? Is that, is that true? If it's true, if what this woman needs to do is get right with God, well, then there's some hope that she might be able to get the child that she craves, and she might work and work and work and work. But what if that storyline isn't true? What if it's not based on her sin? Well, then she's going to work and work and work and be disappointed that she never gets what she wants. False storylines have the potential to do insane amounts of damage, and I think that the prosperity gospel, I think the word of faith movement, does insane damage to people and to the church because they do not share a biblical story about suffering. The, the word of faith movement, think of a Kenneth Copeland, you think of T.D. Jakes, you think of Joel Osteen. These are all men who proclaim that God wants your best life now. And if you don't have it, it's because you've done something wrong. And I think that it's destroying the church. It's important for us to get our storyline straight when it comes to how we explain suffering. So, my third point. Point three. God has a purpose in our pain for our good. Jesus answered to his disciples, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. Now, Jesus is going to provide an explanation for this man's suffering, but he's not going to answer the question that the disciples actually asked. The disciples asked for a cause. They assumed what the cause was, sin, and they just wanted to know who sinned, who caused it. Jesus doesn't provide a cause. He provides a purpose. And so he starts off by saying, it was not this man's sin or his parents. This disability, this blindness was not a result of his sin 
or the result of his parents' sin. And with that one statement, Jesus shoots a hole in the kind of theology that would say that all suffering, all suffering is to be pointed back to a particular sin. I understand there are times, if you look in the Bible, there are biblical examples of people who did sin in specific ways and suffered as a result in specific ways. You look at Herod and how he died in Acts 12. He didn't give glory to God. He sinned, didn't give glory to God. And because he did not do that, because he sinned in that way, an angel of the Lord came and killed him and he was devoured by worms. And that's a specific sin producing a particular suffering. You can look at stories in the Old Testament. The man who touched the Ark of the Covenant, because he did what God forbade, God struck him dead. Direct sin, direct suffering. There are cases of that. In fact, you can think of just experiential causes. If you rob a bank and you get caught, you will suffer in jail because of that particular sin. Your sin of robbery will produce a particular kind of suffering. I'm not saying that certain sins don't ever produce suffering. What I'm saying is that Jesus says, not in this case, not in this blindness, and because it's not always true, there is an explanation that goes beyond just sin producing suffering. Because what Jesus says next is going to, it has the potential to open our eyes to a kind of glory that will heal all wounds. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus looks at this man with disability, and he says, this man's blindness, this man's darkness, this man's scars and wounds because of him being born blind. I had a purpose in that. It was so that. He was born blind so that. So that the works of God would be displayed in him. And if there's purpose, there's design. And at this point, I want to pray for me as I continue because this is a sensitive issue. Father, to talk about you and your involvement in suffering is fraught with danger. I do not want to ascribe evil to you as being the author of sin. And yet, I do want to go as far as the scriptures go to put sin into your divine power and plan. Lord, would you open our eyes to be able to understand this line, that it might open our eyes to a world of pain and suffering for our good and your glory. Amen the works of God, if there is design, God didn't just allow it. 
He didn't just see it and then figure out, okay, what am I going to do with this? God had a purpose in it. And I understand that that kind of idea can be repugnant because you're thinking, if I were God, I would not allow my children to go through anything like that. If I were God, I would not let someone suffer. And anyone who says that God would do that is a heretic proclaiming a false gospel, something unbiblical. And yet when I look at the cross, what do I see but a heavenly father who loves his son so much that he puts his son to death. He makes him suffer unjustly for the world's good. There is a divine purpose in God's suffering. When I look through the scriptures and read the story of Joseph, and when Joseph says what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. It's not saying it's not bad to be blind, but it's bad to say that being blind is ultimately bad. There is something worse than not being able to see physically. There's something worse about not being able to see spiritually. And what Jesus is doing in this moment, what he's doing in these three verses, is he's trying to get the disciples to see. He's trying to get the disciples to open up their eyes to a different storyline. That specific sin does not necessarily produce specific suffering. And that simple truth has been a balm for all kinds of wounds to me. God's sovereign grace has kissed a thousand of my wounds. It allows me to look at Roger, if I ever meet him, and be able to say without any doubt, Roger, you are not an accident. And your CP is not punishment. It's not a punishment for you, and it's not a punishment for your parents. God is displaying his work in you and through you. He has not withheld any good thing from you. And I'm able to say that because I believe wholeheartedly that the works of God might be displayed even in our darkest moments. And so I want to conclude by pushing us uh, towards some next steps. Step one, I want to push us to admit that we don't see all things clearly like God does. Admit that we don't see all things clearly. In a lot of ways, we might be like the disciples. Disciples who know that Jesus is the Lord and Savior. We, God has opened our eyes up to see the gospel to see that we are sinners in need of grace. God has done that work to open our eyes that we might love Jesus and say, be saved from sin. However, it's still possible for us to be Christians and not see all things perfectly. The disciples, though they walked with Jesus, there were still parts of their theology, their stories that were false. They thought a particular thing about suffering with this blind man, and Jesus corrected it. Jesus graciously opened the eyes to them to see that it wasn't sin that caused this man's blindness. There are areas in our lives when it comes to race that maybe you look back on your parents' generation and you say, my parents were loving, kind people, but they were blind when it came to understanding race. Or they were blind when it came to abortion, money, sex, 
gender, marriage, parenting, work. Pick your facet of life. There are ways in which we do not see all things clearly. And so admit that you don't see all things clearly. And then seek God to open our eyes to see all of life in light of the gospel. To see all of life in light of the gospel. To use Kyle's quote, the gospel is the Christian story that not only do we look at, but we look through to make sense of the whole world. We grow in faith and holiness and maturity the more that we see all of life through this gospel lens. And Kyle said that we can look to see by opening up the scriptures and having the scriptures bring truth to us. We can go to other people and other people can tell me to open my eyes and bring truth to me. But God's ultimately the one who is going to illuminate it. You can say the same thing over and 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 over again to somebody and they don't get it. Why? They're blind. They need to have someone open their eyes to it. And so we seek God and come to him in prayer and say, Lord God, I need to see this the way you see it. I don't know how I ought to think and feel about this. Would you remind me of truth? Would you open my eyes to a reality? Would you illuminate this world that I might not hurt myself or hurt others or hurt you? Step three, uncover our gospel-shaped theology as we uncover our stories. You learned a little bit about Roger's theology as you watched that video, didn't you? You've got an idea of what kind of God he loves because of that video. The disciples, too, revealed their theology when they asked the questions to the blind man. And as we talk, we are sharing what we think about God. The question is, is it a true story, true theology, or is it gospel-shaped theology? I would imagine that in a church our size, there are people multiple people who no matter what your scar is no matter what your story is there is someone else in here who has your kind of story I know that because when we had life action come and invited people to come up right front here and share their stories Greg the the host for that week invited them to go back to the prayer room and then asked if there was anyone else who has gone through something similar that might be able to minister to them He didn't send the pastors. He didn't send the elders. He sent other people who've walked that journey before. Because we would say that the stories that we have and the ways that God has met us can be an encouragement to others. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to, in some ways, have someone find out that something horrific has happened to you. And you've had someone be able to come alongside you and say, I've been there. I understand. I'm not going to say anything right now because I know that when I was going through it, I had lots of people who tried to help and they didn't help. They said all of the wrong things. They didn't know what to say. And because you've suffered, you know how to help those two who suffer. Like I said last week, I would love for Keystone to be a church that is full of stories and storytellers. And I want these stories to be shared 
in one way so that we can glorify God, let others know the kinds of things that he's doing in our lives. But I also want these stories to be shared so that we might encourage the rest of the family, that other people in the family might be able to come alongside and say, you're not alone here. Our God is able and sufficient. So let me close here in prayer. And Father, you have opened my eyes up to see a kind of power and purpose in pain that brings me great comfort in my darkest of days. Revealed to me that in my pain and in my suffering, when dreams fade and hope seems lost, that you have not abandoned me. You've reminded me of truths that your steadfast love never ceases. Your mercies are new every morning. Your grace is sufficient. Your love for me is so deep that you would send Jesus for me. And he who did not withhold his son, why would he withhold any good thing for me? Lord, I trust you that even in my deepest pain that it is not an accident. It's not meaningless, but it is storing up for me a peculiar type of glory that I won't even consider comparing to the pain in the days ahead. And so Lord, I worship you because I see your hand and plan in the midst of pain and suffering. God, I pray that you would galvanize this church, give us the grit to stand firm in the face of suffering and not doubt your goodness or your faithfulness, but that in the midst of it, we might encourage one another with the glory of the truth. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.